Parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Busy weekends are a breeze with American Express Platinum Card. 8 a.m., wait to board plane in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> Much better. 2 p.m., grab seats for the game. Come on, it 6 p.m., book an exclusive reservation with Resi Global Dining Access. Right this way. Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to the Centurion Lounge, must-see live events, and exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Hey, it's Jonas Knox. Winter is coming. Heavy rain, sleet, snow, and ice. Are your tires up for the challenge? Tread confidently in winter's worst with a set of new tires from Tire Rack. They sell only the best, like the full line of Pirelli tires. Go to TireRack.com slash sports. Tell them what you drive. Your tires will ship fast and free to you or one of over 10,000 recommended installers. TireRack.com, the way tire buying should be. This is the best of Outkick, the coverage with Clay Travis on Fox Sports Radio. The biggest story in sports right now, it has crossed over into the uh, sports, beyond the sports arena. CNN is covering this, MSNBC, Fox News. Outkick, the coverage, if you're just waking up, last night broke the news that ESPN had removed an Asian announcer named Robert Lee from calling the University of Virginia William and Mary game because his name was too similar to Robert E. Lee and they were afraid that they would offend and or trigger some of their viewers with that connection. This is real life. This is not a made-up Onion article headline. This is not Saturday Night Live fake news. This is real news that outkicked the coverage broke ESPN issued a statement confirming this story to OutKick. I was on Tucker Carlson last night. I'm going to be on Fox News and several other news stations later in the day. ESPN's official statement, we collectively made the decision with Robert to switch games as the tragic events in Charlottesville were unfolding simply because of the coincidence of his name. In that moment, it felt right to all parties. It's a shame that this is even a topic of conversation. And we regret that who calls play-by-play for a football game has become an issue. Our poll question. You can go find me at Clay Travis, and I need you to vote in because I'm curious, is this the dumbest decision in the history of ESPN removing Robert Lee from the University of Virginia game because his name is too similar to Robert E. Lee? So far, hundreds of you voting, 73% of you saying yes, This is the dumbest thing that ESPN has ever done 
in the history of its network. I believe this is what happens when you allow yourself to go far left and don't have diversity of opinion. You make decisions that all of you out there right now as you start your day are sitting around like, is this real life? Is this is where the country has become that if an Asian dude named Robert Lee has too similar of a name to Robert E. Lee, ESPN is worried about offending its viewers. They're worried about it being controversial. They are worried about a story that should have been a non-story that nobody would have noticed for more than an hour or two if a guy named Robert Lee had happened to call the University of Virginia game. Instead, to avoid offending what? Two or three of the dumbest people in America, they make the decision to move Robert Lee, creating a massive story over this entire snafu. What an unbelievably absurd story that is perfect for what we do here which is dominate the mornings across the nation in all 50 states. Your phone calls now. Let's go to, who do you think makes the most sense? Let's go to Aaron in Michigan. Aaron in Michigan first up here. on Mike in, Cal- who? Mike in California? Mike in California first up. Mike, what's up? Hey, Clay. Uh, first of all, you got it all wrong. It, it's not, uh, it's, it's ESPCNN. Uh, <laughs> this, this is incredible. I was a loyal listener to ESPN. I listened to Mike and Mike every morning uh, two weeks ago, and I finally got tired of them trying to be an agent for Colin Kaepernick. So I, yep. I heard radio. I started listening to you guys, and uh, oh my God, I, I love the OKTC uh, outkick the coverage. And ESPN now, two in, in two weeks, they. With the debacle, with the uh, fantasy uh, football auction deal. Yeah, for people who don't know, let me explain that. ESPN apologized because they were auctioning off top football players like Tom Brady, Rob Gronkowski, and Odell Beckham Jr. And people online said, wait a minute, the Odell Beckham Jr. auction reminds us too much of a slave auction. This really happened. And ESPN apologized to critics for doing that. And now they followed it up by making this decision to move Robert Lee. I mean, it's just an, an unbelievable experience. Absolutely. Just, just incredible. And like I said, I've, now I'm, it's Fox News, uh, and, and your, your show is, is one of my favorites. And uh, I'll leave it at that. Uh, good God, ESPCNN, you're, you're, you're done. <laughs> I appreciate the call. There's lots of people out there. I feel like the American populace is feeling as if the common sense has died, right? That's why this show does so well. It's not because we are like necessarily um, going to be like, you know, don't necessarily know what my opinion is going to be on any given day, right? I might surprise you. But you do know that there's going to be some level of common sense associated with it. I think I have good judgment I call myself the King Solomon of the internet. I think you put a difficult situation in front of me. We do the anonymous mailbag on Outkick the Coverage, one of the most popular weekly columns anywhere. And I think if you give me a difficult problem, I can solve it. I really do. David in Utah. David, what's up? Hey, Clay. Great show. I just uh, appreciate the operative word, common sense. I am a truck driver. I make 25,000 decisions a week uh, with traffic and people. Can you imagine if our industry operated the way CNN and ESPN operated? There'd be trucks and ditches, freaks tipped over. You got you can't live your life that way. But they expect us to think that way. It is unbelievable. Uh, whether it's an airline pilot or a surgeon, you've got to use common sense. 
every day as a way to operate and live. But they expect us to do otherwise. And we're, I think the American public is just fatigued with that line of thought. And you hit it on the head. You just got to wake up. I think people are. You're doing a great job. I just really love the show. I appreciate that. Uh, 877-996-6369. I think that's the thing, right? I mean, is there a single person out there that can defend ESPN at all in this decision? Like, if I tried to go spin zone on you, right? If I tried to go spin zone in my earlier career when I was an attorney, I could defend any side, right? You pay me enough money, I'll make the best possible argument that I could for you. It's even hard to make an argument for ESPN here. Okay, I always like to think about things in life as best case and worst case scenario, right? Best case scenario for ESPN, what happens here? Nobody finds out about this. And they avoid a couple of jokes on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram about, and they're funny jokes, by the way, that aren't offensive jokes. It's like, man, look how hard Robert E. Lee's working to try to get back into Charlottesville. And then somebody puts up a picture of Robert Lee, the Asian announcer, calling the University of Virginia game. And if you're scrolling through your Twitter feed or Instagram or Facebook, you might laugh a little bit, regardless of, by the way, your race, your gender, or your ethnicity. Is it still allowable to laugh? Can we still laugh at things in America, or is laughing insensitive too? Uh, you could you'd have laughed, and you would have moved right on and paid attention to games that actually matter. So Virginia and William & Mary, not at the top of anybody's list, unless you happen to be a Virginia or a William & Mary fan, Right. And so you'd laugh about this a little bit. You'd be like, oh, you know, that's pretty funny. And that would be the end of it. That would be the sum total of this story. So absolute worst case scenario, if you live, leave Robert Lee on this game, he trends maybe for an hour, probably not even that long. A few thousand people retweet a funny picture, maybe of old school Robert E. Lee with the Asian Robert E. Lee's face on him talking about how hard Robert E. Lee is working to get back into Charlotte after how, Charlottesville after how controversial things have been. That's it, right? That's the absolute worst case for ESPN in this situation. And by the way, if anybody is triggered or anybody is offended or anybody is hurt by this move, you know what you do? You just call them out for being a loser. This has been my talk for a while. Like, instead of apologizing to people who are perpetually offended... Why don't you call out those people and say, hey, quit being a loser? When did being offended become something that a company worries about? When did a loser being offended become something that someone worries about in this country? There are 323 million of us out there. My response anytime somebody is offended is to say, I'm offended that you're offended. And you know what people say when you come back to them? they literally have no response because they are so used to being offended being the trump card because companies and industries and most people immediately apologize. You know how many times I've apologized in my career? Zero. Now, I apologize to my wife all the time so she'll still sleep with me, but I don't apologize for things that I say on the radio. I don't apologize for things that I write. Do you know why? Because I mean them. (laughs) I'm in the opinion business. I'm going to tell you exactly what I think every day. And I'm not going to apologize if it upsets you. Because I'm not in the business of caring whether or not you're offended. When did in America it become acceptable for somebody to grab their pearls, fall back onto their couch, and say, oh my, I had a fainting spell. 
I'm offended. And for somebody to respond, I'm so sorry that we offended you. My response is different. If I haven't offended you yet, tell me how to do it because that's what I want to do. I think people should be offended in this country because if you're offended, it means you're having to interact with opinions that you might not hold dear. And in this era where everybody builds silos surrounded by people who only have the exact same opinion as them all day long, you need every now and then to get a bright dash of cold water slapped across your face where you realize, hey, maybe everybody doesn't think the exact same thing that I do all day long. So what I'm encouraging the OutKick Army to do is every time somebody in your life says I'm offended, be your wife, kids, co-workers, immediately come back with, I'm offended that you're offended. Because the person who is offended thinks that being offended is a trump card. Like, bang, I'm offended. Like in this situation, somebody sees Robert Lee, the Asian dude, calling this University of Virginia game, and they're outraged, and they're offended, and they go on Twitter, and they're like, boom, I'm offended. My response would be, quit being a pussy willow. Hey, So what? You're a bitch. Moreover, I'm offended that you're offended. Watch their brain explode. Because they think that being offended is a one-way street. They're driving down it, down the offensive highway, like, offended, 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 offended. When there's a car coming the other direction right at them, and somebody says, hey, I'm offended too, it's like they slam on the brakes and they have no idea what to do. The people out there that are perpetually offended have no idea how to respond if you respond by saying, you know what, you got a good point. I'm offended that you're offended. Their mind blows up because they've been conditioned to believe that only thing that matters is their opinion and the world should be bent to their will and everybody who is offending them should have to apologize. And that's what ESPN does. They worry about the two people instead of the 98 in 100 that could see through this. Poll questions up right now. If you don't follow me on Twitter, what are you doing with your life? You should be. I'm at Clay Travis, and the poll question is up right now, and thousands of you are voting. Is removing Robert Lee from calling the Virginia game because his name is too similar to Robert E. Lee the dumbest thing ESPN has ever done? And they've done a lot of dumb things. 76% of you are voting yes. I'm going to leave the phone lines open for this next segment. Then we're going to join Jeff Schwartz. Is there a single person out there who thinks ESPN made the right decision? 877-996-6369. We're on in all 50 states. We are on satellite radio. There are people streaming this show all over the world. Is there a single person listening right now who believes that ESPN made the right decision here, that Robert Lee should not have called this game? If so, I want you to call in right now, and I want to hear from you. Hell, I want ESPN executives to call in right now and defend this decision. You guys were all there making the decision. Should we have Robert Lee call this game? You're consulting with Robert Lee. You're sitting around. You're discussing it. Is there a single person on earth? You did it somehow in this boardroom. You all reached this decision. This is what happens when diversity of thought doesn't exist. People make stupid decisions. Everybody out there like, oh, we got to have diversity of color. Shut up about diversity of color. What matters is diversity of thought. You don't need a bunch of people who look different and think the same. You need a lot of people who think differently. That's how companies thrive. It's all a cliche now to say, oh, we want a rainbow. 
We want the united colors of Benetton. We got to have a different looking group of people who all think the same thing. Uh uh-uh. What matters in this country is diversity of thought. 4% of sports writers and sports media voted for Donald Trump. 4%. That's how you end up with decisions made like this at ESPN. Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick the Coverage with Clay Travis. Weeknights at 11 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. Happy to be joined by John Anik. He's a UFC commentator, play-by-play voice on pay-per-view, Fox and FS1. He is with us now. He's on Twitter at John underscore Anik, A-N-I-K. John, do you think the UFC would have pulled you off some of this coverage of Mayweather McGregor if your name was Robert Lee? Oh, dude, I'm telling you. I mean, as the world (laughs) turns in this crazy mixed martial arts world, I know you've gotten a little bit of taste of it over the last few years, but Never a dull moment, man. The news cycle in this sport is just unlike any other that I've ever covered by far. All right, before we even get to Mayweather-McGregor, John Bone Jones tests positive for steroids. What does this mean? Well, I, I'm trying to reserve total judgment until uh, the facts come out, and at least there's a statement from the John Jones camp. I know one of his coaches, Frank Lester, has come out he believes that this was a setup, that there was some oral ingestion that John Jones did unknowingly between the weigh-in and the fight. I think what really opens up a window to a lot of people asking different questions is just simply the fact that John Jones passed all this pre-fight test. He's been tested eight times by USADA this year and passed all of those drug tests. So you want to give a guy the benefit of the doubt. Of course, if anybody doesn't deserve that, it's probably Johnny Bones Jones. No doubt at all. Now, let's shift gear to Mayweather-McGregor. Are you of the opinion, which seems to be shared by the vast majority of people who have spent time around this sport, that Mayweather is going to, at least boxing-wise, you're, you're on the UFC side more, but do you think this is going to be a competitive fight, or do you think this is more of a show than it is a fight? Well, I think it is more of a show than it is a fight, at least uh paper, but that doesn't mean that it can't be more competitive than a lot of the boxing purists expect it to be. And I, for one, having covered both boxing and mixed martial arts, I do expect it to be more competitive, especially early on. All indications are from the Mayweather camp that despite the fact that he's 40 years old, despite the fact that he's staring at a 714-day layoff, he's sharper than he was two years ago when he fought Manny Pacquiao. So if you're banking on Floyd Mayweather showing up flat on fight night for the first time in 50 pro fights and not being in shape and taking Conor McGregor lightly, uh, then you're a fool. On the other side, though, Conor McGregor's a big game player. You and I talked about this in Vegas. You know, when the lights are bright, he's at his best. He's fought with a torn ACL and beaten wrestlers and supposed to kill his heel. So I, like Dana White, am, am out of the business of doubting Conor McGregor. And I do feel like, unlike past opponents, if he does knock Floyd Mayweather down, Clay, in the early going, I think he's got the pop to close the show. It might sound crazy. Of course, it remains to be seen. But I do think if Connor connects on a seminal blow early and Floyd gets knocked down, if there's enough time in the round and Floyd gets backed up, I think Connor can get him out of there. I really do. We're talking to John Anik at John underscore Anik on Twitter. He's the UFC commentator, play-by-play voice on pay-per-view Fox and FS1. All right. John, like in general here, you just said if if McGregor can hit Mayweather. There have been a lot of guys who have tried to hit Mayweather and not been able to do it. Give me the case or make a case for why you think McGregor would be able to do what other boxers have not been able to, and that's get the gloves on Mayweather in a way that actually substantially injures him. Right, and I think the big rub when it comes to Floyd Mayweather is that even when guys like Shane Mosley have tagged him and forced him to the canvas, albeit briefly, 
he has masterfully adjusted and mopped the canvas with these guys for the remaining six or seven rounds. In the case of the Mosley fight, just totally dominated the guy for the final nine rounds. So it's been Mayweather's ability to adjust when he has been cracked that has also set him apart. But he's 49-0 and against pro boxers. He's 0-0 against mixed martial artists crossing over into boxing. So while most people see this as the path of least resistance for Floyd Mayweather, I give Mayweather credit for taking on an MMA athlete who presents a lot of unknowns. I mean, Clay, we don't even know what stance Conor McGregor is going to come out in. Is he going to raise his right hand to shore some things up defensively? Is he going to maintain the open stance? Is he going to press forward? Is he going to try to counter-strike? There are so many variables and so many unknowns when it comes to fighting an MMA fighter in a boxing setting that that, that gives me confidence that Conor can potentially get something done. He certainly has unorthodox strikes in his arsenal if he can be afforded some time in the clinch by the referee Robert Byrd, maybe pull down on Conor, on, on Floyd Mayweather's head a little bit, try to soften him up that way. Who knows? I just feel like Floyd, there are a lot of things that maybe Floyd hasn't seen that he could be presented by Conor, especially in the first six or nine minutes of this. What do you think about Conor McGregor's ability to take a punch in a strictly boxing context, right? Because a lot of times, if you watch right. uh, Conor McGregor, he's got to, he's got to worry about getting choked out. He's got to worry about blows coming from a lot of different directions. What do we think about his defensive strategy and his ability to withstand whatever Mayweather has to bring from a strictly boxing perspective? You've watched him fight a lot. What could you tell us, for those of us who have not watched him fight that much, from a strictly boxing perspective, how he's going to do? Yeah, it's a good question. You know, I wouldn't call his chin legendary in mixed martial arts, but it certainly has been held up when hit. Um, Nate Diaz obviously was able to hit him and then eventually get him down, forcing a takedown from Conor McGregor, and then he choked him out from there. Conor has a great chin. I think most people are more concerned with Floyd Mayweather's body work, and if you followed Conor's training camp at all, you see there has been a decided focus on tightening up his midsection to try to absorb those body shots because I think most of us are less worried in Connor's chin up top than we are of an attritative knockout, right? A knockout that is caused by the accumulation of blows from Floyd Mayweather over 10 or 12 rounds or so. But Connor's a tough guy, man. And the thing is, you know, he does have this, you know, he has been painted with the brush in the past of a guy who sort of is looking for a way out. And I really don't see him that way. Certainly in the Nate Diaz fight, he clearly was looking for a way out. But this is not a quitter, Clay. I mean, this is a guy who has exuded heart in past UFC fights. Certainly the Chad Mendes fight comes to mind. So I don't worry too much about his chin, but if Floyd Mayweather is able to land to that body and, and start to do work there, I think Connor could crumble late because of it. We're talking to John Anik. He's the UFC commentator, play-by-play voice on pay-per-view Fox and FS1. He's at John underscore Anik on Twitter if you want to go follow him there. Okay, for MMA, for the UFC, how big is this for MMA and the UFC if Conor McGregor is competitive? Conversely, if he is not, how much do you think, if at all, this hurts the UFC MMA brand? Well, again, the UFC cuts my paycheck, but that doesn't <laughs> mean that it, cha- it that doesn't mean it changes my answer here. And Clay, you know, I would defer to you on some of these matters too, but I just don't see a whole lot of downside for the UFC. You can actually argue if he beats Floyd Mayweather and then decides to stay in boxing, that that would have the most downside for the UFC. But I really right. just don't see a lot of it. I feel like Conor McGregor, win or lose, in spectacular fashion or otherwise is going to do a monster number when he returns to the UFC. And despite some of the things you're hearing out there, I think the latest he returns to the Octagon is first quarter 2018. I think the competitive spirit in this individual is such that he wants to bolster his mixed martial arts legacy. I don't feel like he wants to be sitting on a lawn chair in retirement. 
hearing people say, oh, he never defended the UFC belt. He's won two of them, but he's never defended either one of them. So I really don't see much downside for the UFC, even if he were to get knocked out in the first nine minutes. And it's not out of the realm of possibility, despite the fact that I can make a case for Connor, that he looks totally out of his element here, right? Like, I wouldn't be surprised to see Floyd Mayweather dominate here, but that doesn't mean that Conor McGregor is going to crawl into a hole and not be relevant anymore. I think he can command any number from the UFC he wants. If it's $30 million to show, I think he'll meet his number, and I think his next UFC pay-per-view is going to be a record-breaker against any opponent. All right, let's say that McGregor pulls off the huge upset and wins. What then? Well, I don't see much juice to this Paulie Malignaggi fight. You know, thankfully, this interview has almost finished without even injecting his name into the conversation. But Connor's about legacy bolstering fights. And I don't know that a Paulie Malignaggi fight does much for him. I mean, maybe could he take on a bigger fish like a Canelo Alvarez potentially were he to beat Floyd Mayweather? I think the world would be his oyster. But I also think, as I mentioned, he cares enough about his MMA legacy to, even if he wins, go back to the UFC. But uh, it's really going to be interesting to see how it plays out because you've heard a lot about Conor McGregor's self-belief as a big part of his success. He will walk to the ring Saturday night as if he's going to win this fight. You know, he doesn't think he's an underdog. He doesn't think it's a long shot. He's going to go in there expecting to get the job done. And I think a lot of boxing purists might wake up Sunday morning a little bit surprised, even if he loses with how successful he was during the fight. For people who have never been to a big fight, you get to cover these events frequently. What does it feel like from your perspective to be there as the main event is happening, as somebody is walking to the ring to fight? There are a lot of people listening to us right now who have never been to a big boxing match, who have never been to a big MMA event. They might love to go, but they wonder what it would feel like. They may have been to a football game, baseball game, basketball game, everything else. What does it feel like in the arena in the moments right before a fight like this is going to happen. Can you take us there and convey what that experience is like? Well, yeah, and it's really why I am doing mixed martial arts full-time and not the mainstream sports, because I went to a UFC live event for the first time and was completely blown away. They invest so much money into the whole live event experience. And, you know, I've been at the horseshoe with 100,000 people, and it's different. This is an intimate, closed setting, uh, and the roof nearly blows off the place. They just really pay attention you know our entire on-air broadcast clay dovetails with the in-house operation for a ufc show and on the boxing side i'll pay 99.99 for floyd mayweather's walk to the ring right i mean i remember covering mayweather fights this guy comes out on a throne i mean borderline wwe when it comes to some of the spectacle but there are just few visuals in all of sports right now than conor mcgregor and floyd mayweather walking to the ring or octagon for a competition so you're getting both of those on saturday night and it's going to be electric man i just can't wait wait to see how it all plays out it's going to be a slow week man i'm glad i'm able to run a little (laughs) uh there's no doubt at all we're talking to john anik last question for you john is this the biggest event you've ever been affiliated with yeah i mean i would say it's certainly top two or three in terms of sporting events in my lifetime and it's hard to overstate the magnitude of it i think a lot of us as, as american sports fans can make a case for every Super Bowl feeling this big. But, dude, I went and bought a landline phone at Best Buy yesterday because of all the media stuff and wanted to make sure I had a clear signal. So I'm ready to go, man. I'm excited. And uh, I think for a lot of us on the UFC side, we're just excited to see Conor McGregor put his best foot forward and not just try to represent our sport and our brand, but to represent himself as the athlete we all know him to be. 
I love that, by the way, because every now and then I only have a cell phone. My wife's only got a cell phone. We've got no landline in the house, and they'll call, and they'll be like, well, okay, let's, I don't want to rely on your cell phone. Can we call you at home? And for like the last six or seven years, I've been like, yeah, you, I mean, we don't have a landline, right? And so uh, I, that, that kind of puts into context. You went out and bought a – I don't even know what kind of landline phones they still sell. That's awesome. Uh, well, thank you for doing that. Oh, it's- yeah, it was crazy. You went to you got a couple AT AT and T phones, and uh, we are prepared for a fight with them. Outstanding. Well, have a good time out in Vegas. We'll be watching here for sure. I appreciate the time, and uh, that's John Anik. Go follow him on Twitter at John underscore Anik. Thank you. Uh, Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com and within the iHeartRadio app. In the zone? Well, the Boston Celtics and Danny Ainge certainly think they're in the zone. They made the big move that has been rumored for the entire offseason ever since the report that Kyrie Irving had asked for a trade came out. We had Kyrie Irving headed to the Boston Celtics in exchange for Isaiah Thomas, for Crowder, and for the number five pick overall later. To me, the big takeaway here is, what is the overall impact in the NBA? And the problem that the NBA's got in general is that the the Golden State Warriors right now are a bigger favorite to win the 2018 NBA title next June than any team in the history of sports has been in the modern era. That is, there has never been a Major League Baseball team, never an NHL, never an NFL, and never an NBA team as much of a favorite in the season before the game even begins to win a title than the Golden State Warriors are right now. So that kind of contextualizes for you how already big of a favorite the Golden State Warriors were. In fact, to such a degree that everybody out there is making decisions like, okay, let's go ahead and make some uh, some moves to not even think about this year. Let's think about next year. Let's think about the way... In the future, when can we, as LeBron James finally starts to age out, you would think. He's going to be 33 this December, I believe it is. He's turning 33 this year. At some point in time, LeBron James is going to begin to fade. Maybe it'll happen with the Lakers, uh, because I believe he's a future Laker. But for right now, in the Eastern Conference, you look in the wake of this trade and say, okay, let's look at the big three of both teams I still think LeBron James, Kevin Love, and Isaiah Thomas with Crowder right there on the outside is a little bit better than the Celtics with Gordon Hayward, Kyrie Irving, and Al Horford. That's presuming that Jason Tatum, the overall draft pick there of the Boston Celtics, is not as good as you would expect, right? Not necessarily going to be a dominant playmaker in the years ahead. I mean, that's something to at least contextualize as you try to break it down. So to me, that is, uh, that is what you have to think about as you try to contemplate what the future of the NBA is going to be. Right now, the biggest story out there is clearly that the Eastern Conference is at least up for grabs, even though the Golden State Warriors are a prohibitive favorite and remain such in the overall landscape of who's going to win the championship. Let's bring in the crew out in L.A. I think the big takeaway here from a larger perspective as well is that LeBron James is going to leave the Cavs. This, to me, is a trade dictated by potentially making sure that the Cavs aren't awful in the years ahead, right? If they can get a decent player with that number five overall pick, they decide whether or not to re-sign Isaiah Thomas. They've got Crowder now. They're a NBA team in uh, Cleveland that's going to make the playoffs the next year, even if LeBron James loses. Now, they might be in a seven or the eight seed, 
And is that really your goal to be the seven or the eight seed when you know you have no chance at a championship? And really, how often is the number five overall pick really panned out in the NBA? I mean, it happens every now and then, but by and large, we know the top couple of guys, and those guys tend to be the ones who become superstars in the league. There's not as much reaching necessarily in the NBA. I know you get a Draymond Green in the second round every now and then, and that's part of what has fueled Golden State is doing so well in the draft. But let's bring in the crew out in L.A., Danny G. and Robert. Are you guys in agreement with me that, one, this makes it seem very likely LeBron's going to leave? Because this, to me, is the Cavs preparing for that eventuality. They can make a decision about Isaiah Thomas in the future and potentially sign him to a multi-year deal that at least keeps them from being awful. It protects them a little bit because Kyrie Irving only had a couple of years left. Does it make the Celtics better? Yes, but I think the Cavs are acknowledging, look, when LeBron's gone, we're not going to be in the running for the title anyway, so let's go back into the draft and hope we can get lucky and the guy we get at number five overall can become a stud. Would you guys agree with that? Celtics now a little bit better than they were. They're certainly going to be better able to challenge the Cavs. The less likely it's going to be a five-game playoff, but still... Probably the Cavs are better, but the Cavs have no shot to beat the Warriors, barring any major injuries to the Warriors. Yeah, and first of all, Clay, we owe you one of these. Hashtag future Laker. Yeah, we definitely do. <laughs> you know, I definitely believe LeBron wants to go to L.A. It, it sure, it's sure feeling that way. You know, Laker fans are we're licking our chops. If it, it just feels like it's getting closer and closer, because like you said about the trade, I think one of the main parts that kind of lets you see forward is that top draft pick from the Nets. You know, that gives them something to look forward to, to maybe fill in a hole there. And that trade overall, it, look on the defensive side, it was kind of a wash, right? Because what's always been the knock on Isaiah Thomas? Can't play D, too small. What's the knock on Kyrie Irving? Doesn't really pay, uh, pay attention to defense. No D. So did you see the memes yesterday? A lot of the memes were like, uh, one guy in a Spider-Man costume and looking at another guy in a Spider-Man <laughs> here's, here's, costume. That's a great, it's a great meme. Here's the challenge to me. It's that LeBron always has to have the ball in his hands. Yeah. And effectively, LeBron James is a point guard. I know he can play like every position on the court. But to me, I look at this and I say, Isaiah Thomas and Kyrie Irving, I think that's a great point. Like it's Spider-Man looking at each other. They're very similar. I would say that Isaiah Thomas may even need the ball more in his hands than Kyrie Irving did because – Kyrie Irving is at least able to post up. Like he can do different things on the offensive side of the, uh, you know, of the ball that don't require him necessarily to have to have the ball in his hands. Whereas, I mean, what is Isaiah Thomas going to do? Like just kind of stand off on the side? He's not a jump shooter necessarily. He's a creator, and that's what LeBron James does too. I, I see this as a bad mix between the two. Yeah, and and the one underrated player I think is Crowder. I, he could fit in nicely. You're going to have Crowder, Thompson. Suddenly, the the Cavs on paper look really good. Now, the Boston Celtics do too, especially with Hayward in the mix already. So, you all of a sudden, I, I it it's weird to say, but it seems like both teams got stronger. The Cavs for the short term, the Celtics for the long term. So, the East is going to be a lot of fun. And now, what do you think about the NBA season opener coming up in October? What is that? October seventeenth. Everyone's going to be tuning into TNT at 8 p.m. Eastern time. Celtics at Cavs. That is going to be insane. Uh, it'll be a little bit entertaining, but anybody who cares about oh, I know, October I know NBA, you don't like regular <laughs> I think anybody NBA, who cares about regular season NBA is ridiculous. Like you're, October 17th, what day of the uh, week is that? That's a Tuesday. All right, so they at least managed to avoid 
any of the uh, overlap for college football or the NFL. So there, there won't be anything else going on. So people will certainly pay attention to that game. But I just, I'm anti-NBA regular season guy, just like I'm anti-baseball regular season guy. Like there's too much other entertaining options going on. To the credit of college football and the NFL, they play so many, so few games that you have to pay attention to the regular season in those sports, and every one of those games matters a great deal. But I just can't care about the regular season in Major League Baseball, the uh, the NBA, or the NHL. Uh, that's just my view. Uh, what about you, uh, Robert? Any additional thoughts about this trade? Yeah, actually, I wanted to spin this conversation forward a little bit because I do kind of agree with both of you. And, um, you know, Kevin Durant was on Twitter, and, and people were ripping on Kevin Durant when he switched from Oklahoma to Golden State. In a lot of cases, you know, rightfully so. But uh, someone tweeted to him, and he went and liked it. The Celtics just traded a guy who played in a game for them a day after his sister died, and y'all expect players to be loyal to the franchise. So I thought that was a very interesting uh, little twist there because it's something that uh, sports fans in general, we see a lot here on this show, is you get upset when your guy leaves, that he took more money or he, he took the easier route to a championship. Loyalty does not exist in sports. Well, loyalty doesn't exist in business. Exactly. And these are businesses, right? Like, I mean, ultimately, if you are making decisions in business, by and large, you look, and this is, you know, when I practiced in a law firm, the same thing was true, right? I was only as valuable as the number of billable hours I could bring in times the number of hours I could collect. And that's why, you know, people think about like going to practice law and they think, oh, you're going to be like Tom Cruise in A Time to Kill. And it's going to be like, or sorry, uh, Matthew McConaughey in A Time to Kill. It's going to be like Tom Cruise in, uh, uh, in, you know, like the you can't handle the truth scene with Jack Nicholson. Like you're going to pursue truth and justice. And, and I'm like, the law is like one of the most brutal possible businesses in America where you can be distilled down to a direct number. You bill 2,200 hours times $400 an hour. You are worth, and I'm always bad at live math, but you are worth whatever that math is, $840,000 a year to this law firm. Then you subtract how much your legal secretary costs, how much it costs for your office, all these other things, right? Like there's a brutal symmetry to the practice of law whereby there's no like play in the joints. People can figure out exactly how much you're worth. And sports has become increasingly like that, right? All of the analytics people can break down athletes to the point, like your value over your replacement player. That to me is the most valuable single way to try to determine what someone was worth across the board. Lots of times you can't do that, right? If you're driving into work today and you work as a government worker, it's almost impossible to figure out whether you're that much more valuable than somebody else. But in a capitalistic business where having a great CEO versus an okay CEO is potentially worth hundreds of millions of dollars a year at least to a company in a, like, what is Reed Hastings worth to Netflix? It's almost impossible to quantify his value. What was Steve Jobs worth to Apple? You know, they almost are off the charts valuable because what is Elon Musk worth to Tesla? I mean, it's almost impossible. Jeff Bezos to Amazon to figure out the value of those guys because their difference, their value over their replacement is probably billions of dollars, right? Well, sports is the same way. And Isaiah Thomas is, uh, is on some level an expendable asset. Everybody is. The Boston Celtics are going to exist probably as long as this country exists. Same thing with the Lakers. Individual athletes come and go. And if you think about it in that context, we're all pretty re- replaceable. 
Your wiper blades chattering, skipping, or squeaking? Don't let streaks or smearing on your windshield compromise your visibility. When it's time to replace your wiper blades, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and see our selection. Our professional parts people will even install your new wiper blades while you wait. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Hey, it's Jonas Knox. The best athletes don't just play the game, they change it. When it comes to investing, GameBridge is doing the same. Their online platform does things differently because it's designed to put you in charge of growing your own savings. It's intuitive, it's easy, and best of all, it's on your terms. No wonder GameBridge has earned the trust of 40% repeat customers. It's a better way to invest because it's investing your way. Get started today with as little as $1,000 at GameBridge.io. Hey, this is John Ridley. And this is Matt Carey, documentary editor at Deadline. And welcome to Talk Talk. John, we've got a hard-hitting episode today. A lot of controversy. Well, maybe we should put the word controversy in quotes in the documentary field about the nominees for Best Documentary Feature. We're going to get into that with some amazing panelists. You get a shot, but the individuals behind every one of those images, they're complicated and they are human. This has been Doc Talk. Thank you. Great conversation. Hey, hey, it's Malcolm Gladwell, host of Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Your elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive entirely its own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. 